It's time, Fort Wayne. Your sports, your station. It's, it's the Sports, sports Rush, Rush with Brett Rush. Covering all the topics that hit a nerve here in the Summit City. Only on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Now here's your host, Brett Rump. Ah, those puffs of white smoke coming out of the Colts complex. Yes, it has happened. The Indianapolis Colts have a head coach. His name is Shane Steichen, the former offensive coordinator from the Philadelphia Eagles. Of course, we are all over it. And tomorrow morning, plenty more about Shane Steichen being hired as the Indianapolis Colts head coach with Caleb and Kenny in the morning. If you haven't checked it out tomorrow morning, make it appointment listening 7 to 9, Caleb and Kenny in the morning, right here at 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Coming up this hour, we'll visit with Purdue play-by-play voice Rob Blackman. What's wrong with the Boilermakers? Let's get to the bottom of it with their play-by-play guy. Rob Blackman joins us about 15 minutes away. Also uh, coming up this hour, we'll uh, talk more about what the Colts learned in the interview process. There were a couple of questions and, more importantly, a couple of really good answers about information the Colts got from the candidates they talked to about the outside perspective of the Colts roster, where they felt they were good, where they felt they needed improvement. It will be very interesting what the Colts do with that information moving forward. But we do know Shane Steichen is the new head coach down in Indianapolis. By the way, speaking of new coaches, we thought Notre Dame was going to get their offensive coordinator because they had uh, Andy Ludwig, who was the offensive coordinator for Utah, on campus this past weekend. He was interviewing with Marcus Freeman, and Marcus Freeman had selected him as the next uh, offense coordinator to replace Tommy Reese, who bailed for Alabama. And I think it would be an excellent hire. Uh, Andy Ludwig has done some really good things with the Utah offense. It's creative. He's developed quarterbacks. They put up points. I, I think... Uh, I don't know what the other options are, but I think Andy Ludwig would have been a good option for Notre Dame. Well, get this. Notre Dame, and remember, this is Notre Dame that keeps all that TV money for themselves. Notre Dame won't pay the buyout. It was announced yesterday that Andy Ludwig was going to remain in Utah. Now, at that point, I wasn't sure if he had decided he wasn't interested If Notre Dame had decided they weren't interested, but uh, the interest was not from Marcus Freeman. The interest was from Notre Dame's administration who decided they weren't going to touch whatever the buyout number was. And therefore, Andy Ludwig, the first choice to be offense coordinator at Notre Dame, it goes by the wayside. And Notre Dame has to find someone else who 
now is going to come in knowing that they were the second choice. They were not the first choice to get that job. 46862, Parkview Sports Medicine text line, 46862. All right, let's do this. we got to get a caller because it's time to play some Tuesday Time Capsule Trivia. If you'd like to play, just call us up and be caller number two. Caller number two at 447-8500. Our area code is 260. So it's 260-447-8500. And what we've got for you today is not only the large pizza to Pizza Hut, but you're going to get a two-pack of tickets to go see the Pacers play the Chicago Bulls down in Indianapolis tomorrow night. That's right, two tickets to see the Pacers and the Bulls up for grabs with Tuesday Time Capsule Trivia, along with that large pizza to Pizza Hut. Uh, all you've got to do is call us at 447-8500. Uh, still coming up, Rob Blackman joins us coming up in about seven minutes. But right now, we've got a caller and a contestant ready to uh, take their punishment on a Tuesday. Let's see who's on the line. Who we got? Adam. Hey, Adam, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm doing well. You think you got me this uh, this Tuesday? You think you can take me in Tuesday Time Capsule Trivia? Oh, I'm hoping so. All right, let's go ahead and play. It's time for Tuesday Time Capsule Trivia on the Sports Rush. Now, Adam, you do know how to play, correct? I do, yeah. I think I've, I've heard it enough times around. I think I got it. Okay, I just wanted to make sure. Adam, what do you got? All right, let's start off with clue number one here. The London Monarchs won 21 to nothing over the Barcelona Dragons in the inaugural World Bowl of this year. Okay, Adam, the way the rules work, you get the option to play or pass on this first one. But remember, whatever your option is, every time it gets to an odd event, odd-numbered event, it will give me the first shot at it. So what would you like to do? Uh, I will pass on this one. I will say 1983. I'll go 1989. All right, let's go to clue number two. The Cleveland Cavaliers beat the Miami Heat 148-80. to the second largest margin of victory in any NBA game in this year. And you're up first, Adam. All right, let's go um, 2002. I'll say 2001. All right, clue number three. I think we were both on to the same thought. This will be Brett first. Nolan Ryan pitches his seventh career no-hitter with a 3 to nothing victory over the Toronto Blue Jays. I should know this. I was a huge Nolan Ryan fan, and I've said that before on this show. And I know that the seventh no-hitter was his last no-hitter of his career. And I, in fact, tuned into it from like the sixth inning on. I watched this game. I just had to think, where was I? When was I? To figure out what I want to give as an answer. I've killed enough time at this point that I will say 1994. I'm going to piggyback you and go 1993. Clue number four. In this year, 
Michael Jordan wins his second of five NBA MVP awards. Oh, it's getting easier. Ooh, Adam, yeah. you get to go first. Let's go... 1993. Or oh, crap, that was what I just said. <laughs> yeah, did he, did he just say? He did. He did. You want to go? We'll give him another guess. We'll give you another guess. Are you sure? No, right. I'm not, I'm not sure. But Adam made the rule, so I'll stick with it. If you All get right, it I'll right, go. I'm going to regret it for a long time. It'll be a little sad. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll go 92. I'm going to go with 1991. Ah, ah, thank you for letting him have that extra guess because I was stuck between <laughs> 91 and 92, but he, you know. So it actually benefited It you. actually worked out to benefit me. I'm glad I was a nice guy today. Uh, Adam, you know what? You're still going to get a great consolation prize because we are giving you two tickets to go to the Pacers-Chicago Bulls game tomorrow night down in Indianapolis. Plus, we've got large pizza to Pizza Hut. Stay on the line. Adam will get some info from you, and uh, we'll make sure you get connected with our prizes. Thanks for playing. Thank you. That is Adam, uh, today's contestant on Tuesday Time Capsule Trivia. One clue that we didn't get, Adam, so go ahead and give us the final clue. The Minnesota Twins win four games to three over the Atlanta Braves in this year's World Series. Uh, okay, you might have flipped four and five because I, I think was it was easier. Too. I think it was easier once you narrowed down Michael Jordan second of five. We had a pretty good idea of what range we were working with. Probably could have flipped. Uh, that was Tuesday Time Capsule Trivia. Coming up on the other side of the break, we've got Rob Blackman, Purdue radio voice of the Boilermakers. Welcome back to this Tuesday edition of the Sports Rush, your daily local sports fix, 4 to 6. Coming up at 6, we've got the Mastodon's Coaches Show. We'll be joined by men's basketball coach John Kaufman. Also, women's basketball coach Maria Marcasano will join us live from the Holiday Inn, Purdue, Fort Wayne, the Mastodon Grill. You're invited to come out and be part of the show or listen right here at 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Last night, I had a chance to hear the Matt Painter show discussing, obviously, the disappointment at Northwestern on Sunday. Purdue, another big one against Maryland coming up on Thursday. Let's talk about it with the voice of the Purdue Boilermakers, Rob Blackman, who is joining us right now on the guest line. And, Rob, I've made a mistake in, uh, in a prior interview about this game on Sunday where in setting up the question, I think I gave too much of the actual answer. So I'm going to keep it wide open for you and just ask, what happened to Purdue on Sunday? We can answer it, Brett, with uh, with one word, and that would be the number 13. Just <laughs> go with 13. That's all you need to know. I know it's already an unlucky number to begin with, but 13 second-half turnovers for Purdue – uh, were very bothersome. More importantly, probably, was the fact that Purdue missed its last 13 three-point shots in that game. Mm. Purdue started that game, yeah, five of nine from three, and you really felt like this was going to be a better shooting day for Purdue, and uh, that was not the case as they finished five of 22. <laughs> so just, just tell them that, Brett. Next time you ask uh, that question or someone asks you, just say 13 and walk away. <laughs> probably confuse I love, but at least I, you and I, you and I don't know what we're talking yeah, about. Yeah, I anyway. love, I love the research, but I want to ask about that point. What's more concerning for Purdue: the inconsistency in taking care of the basketball, or the inconsistency in dropping down shots? Because they really need to do both. 
Yeah, uh, Coach Painter would tell you, and I would agree, the turnovers are certainly more bothersome. Uh, and the reason uh, he would say that, the fact of the matter is, Purdue is one of the best offensive rebounding teams in the country, uh, getting right around 50% of their misses. Uh, so that obviously tells you that all you really have to do is get the ball up on the rim, and you have a pretty good chance that you're going to end up with, a, with something positive coming out of that. Uh, as a team, Purdue this year is, is just under 47% shooting from the floor. So if you just look at the numbers that I just gave you, when you shoot the ball, you're, you're at almost a 50-50 chance of it going in. If you miss it, you're at a 50-50 chance of getting the rebound and having another chance, another crack at it. Um, so that's the trick is just get that thing up on the rim because things are probably going to work out pretty well for you. Obviously, you can't shoot the ball if you don't have the ball. Uh, and as Matt Painter loves to say, I've heard him say this a thousand times in the 18 years I've worked with him, uh, the worst offensive possession is the possession where you don't get a shot. Uh, and that is happening way too often here for Purdue as of late. You know, he had the 13 second half turnovers, uh, against, uh, against, um, Northwestern. He had only three first half turnovers against Northwestern. So he really felt like Purdue was going to do a really good job of taking care of the ball. Again, that was not the case. But if you just look back, Brett, at the last three games, uh, Indiana, Iowa, Northwestern, uh, the turnover numbers have been 16, 17, and 16. Uh, and, oh, by the way, when Purdue played Maryland the first time back in, in late January, mm-hmm. uh, Purdue turned it over 15 times against Maryland in that game. Um, so the turnovers are very bothersome. Again, when you're as efficient as Purdue is on the offensive end, all they really need to do, I know this sounds simple, is just get the ball up on the rim. Because as I, the numbers I just gave you, the odds are in Purdue's favor. Something good is going to happen if they could just get a shot up on the rim. And, and Purdue's just not doing that enough here, uh, at least in the last couple of ball games. Is Purdue vulnerable based on how the game is called by officials? Well, Zach Eady certainly is, um, you know, so much of that. And I know it's funny that normally we have these discussions when you get to the NCAA tournament because you start seeing a whole lot of officials that you haven't normally seen throughout the year and you start worrying about how the game might be officiated and how that could affect, again, guys that you're just not used to seeing. Mm-hmm. The Big Ten officials obviously are used to seeing Zach Eady. Uh, those that work, work the work the league regularly uh, because they see him on a night-in, night-out basis. Um, and that's what happened a little bit uh, on that game Sunday. You know, we had we had two officials that worked that game that, that actually are very good officials, uh, have worked Final Fours. Uh, matter of fact, one of them, Ron Groover, worked the national championship game last year. So these are really quality officials, but they're not guys that are in our, are in our league a bunch. Um, and so makes it a little tougher to to, uh, to officiate a guy like Zach Eady when you're just not used to seeing him night in and night out. So I would say that's the one player that can really be affected, either negatively or, or in a positive light. I mean, let's, I'm not just going to sit here and boo-hoo Purdue's uh, officiating. Sometimes it can also work to the, uh, to the benefit of, of Zach Eady uh, when the officials are able to let him be physical in the low post and, and kind of have his way with some smaller and weaker players. So... Yes, officiating obviously can always make a difference in a game of, in a game like basketball where, where the subjective uh, decisions of officials can really affect a game either way. But I, it, I would say from a Purdue standpoint, Zach Eady is the one that gets is, is the most affected one way or the other. Normally the rest of those guys on that Purdue roster, they, they can figure it out. Uh, but, but he's the one guy that can have a really tough time if, if they're going to allow teams to be really physical with him. I've got kind of a little bit of a theory and nothing proven, but I want to get your opinion on it because, you know, the old phrase that you, uh, uh, the best umpire or the best official is the one you never notice. And I, I've always thought 
that maybe some of the best officials are the best officials because they don't blow their whistle and they don't make as many calls. They let guys play maybe more so than even an official who's, quote, getting it right. Because every time you blow your whistle and you make a call, what happens? We all see it at home on replay. We all judge whether you made the right call or made the wrong call. So the best way for an official to avoid that scrutiny is just not blow your whistle. Is Do you see any pattern in that that, that the better officials tend to let guys play through a little more than maybe other officials? I would say to that, Brett, in my 18 years with, with Purdue, able to see high-level collegiate officiating uh, at the Division One level, the guys that I feel have always been the best at their job are the ones that are consistent mm-hmm. from game to game. Um, that may mean that it's an official who is a little bit more lenient, kind of what you were talking about, who doesn't blow the whistle a whole bunch. Um, as long as that's what you're getting game after game after game, Everyone in the building can live with that, certainly from a coaching and player standpoint. Because as much scouting that goes into the opponent as you prepare for an opponent, uh, I can promise you there's just as much scouting going into the officials that you're going to have work that game. And typically we will find out 24 hours at least in advance who's going to be officiating the game. Mm-hmm. Um, so we know, and I'm talking about Purdue basketball here, you know the, the guy you're going to get. Uh, is he a guy that is lenient uh, on that kind of stuff? Is he a guy that maybe is a little more quick to blow the whistle? Those kind of things. So as long as you have some type of consistency, I think that's all that the coaches and players would ever ask for. Now, if you listen to Matt Painter, you mentioned the Coach Painter show last night. For those that listen there on your radio station, the one thing that really frustrated Matt was that that was not the case on Sunday. The game was officiated much differently in the second half than it was in the first half, uh, and that's where his frustration lies. As he said, look, is We'd have been just fine with it either way if you just would have would just would have picked a side. That's not his words. I'm paraphrasing here, but um, but you can't do it two different ways and two different halves. Just however you're going to officiate the game, as long as it that that's way. Uh, pardon me, it's that way for the entire 40 minutes. Hey, we can we can all live with that because uh, then we can make the necessary adjustments as players and coaches. Uh, and that's where his frustration uh, was lying in that, in that game Sunday. However, I do want to emphasize, Coach Painter was also quick to say officiating had nothing to do with Purdue losing that game on Sunday. That Purdue beat Purdue because of their inability to take care of the basketball, uh, plain and simple. So uh, I know fans sometimes like to blame it on officiating, and, and I get that because I get frustrated as well. Uh, but it was, it was not the officiating that beat Purdue on Sunday. It was Purdue beating Purdue and their inability to take care of that ball. Uh, Rob Blackman joining us here on the guest line. Rob, Real quick, I, I know the average fan wouldn't notice this. I notice it because I pay pretty close attention to the officials and the scheduling of officials and who's working where. I'm sure you've noticed there used to be a, a pool of about 10 to 12 Big Ten officials that showed up at every game. It was just a matter of which three were you getting that game. Now with Bo Borowski no longer officiating, Terry Weimer no longer officiating, uh, guys like Terry Oglesby doesn't seem to show up in the Big Ten as much. It seems like that now you really don't know who the Big Ten officials are and who just regular college basketball officials would be. I mean, case in point, John Higgins coming from halfway across the country or three-quarters of the way across the country to come do a Purdue game on a Sunday afternoon. You really don't know as much about the officials as maybe you had prior. 
Well, to your point, you just mentioned two guys, uh, Oglesby and Higgins. Uh, you know, I just watched those guys last night. Both they were working the uh, Texas uh, Texas Tech game. For those that watched that game on ESPN, um, so yeah, what's happened, Brett, is you know all of these officials are independent contractors, so they are allowed to certainly uh, sign up for any game that, that that's willing to have them, and more importantly, any any conference official assigner. Uh, for instance, Terry Weimer is now in charge of. You mentioned Terry too. He's now in charge of Big Ten officiating, so he's in charge of assigning officials for Big Ten games, with Big Ten games only. Um, so these officials, yeah, they're from all over the country. Um, uh, we had a guy, uh, let me see, it would have been our Iowa game last Thursday uh, that I'd never seen work in our league before, at least a Purdue game. Uh, he came all the way from, from the West Coast uh, to work our game uh, last Thursday. Again, a guy I'd never seen. Um, so, yeah, they're all independent contractors. They're allowed to work for whomever they'd like. Uh, in as many games as they'd like. And I know that's a frustration among some folks, whether they be coaches or fans, that some of these guys are overworked because they're working seven, seven, seven days a week. And as you mentioned, they're going from all parts of the country to work these games. And one can only assume they're not getting enough rest, I wouldn't think, <laughs> to work that type of a schedule. Um, but that's how it's set up now currently. Uh, I don't know if I ever see that changing. But, yes, you're correct. I, I too, remember a day when – the Big Ten kind of had its pool of officials, and those are the guys you knew you were going to see every single game um, once the regular season started, the Big Ten season started. But that is no longer the case. Um, again, I just, as I said, I just watched John Higgins work a game last <laughs> night between Texas and Texas Tech, and I wouldn't be surprised if I see John working a Big Ten game tonight or maybe a Big Ten game tomorrow night. It's just, it's just how it works these days, and uh, again, I, I don't see that changing anytime soon. Yeah, case in point with what these officials go through, uh, Sunday we had a Mastodons game at uh, the Gate Center here in Fort Wayne, and one of the officials, John Floyd, had worked the Wisconsin-Nebraska overtime game the day before. And I was talking to him before the game. He told me it made him miss his flight uh, because of the overtime, so he had to drive all the way from Lincoln, Nebraska to Fort Wayne, Indiana to get there to do an afternoon game the next next afternoon. That's what the officials have to go through. It's kind of a, a crazy schedule that they keep. Speaking of fatigue, Rob, um, I'm curious in what you're seeing because I thought some of the mistakes and turnovers could have been the result of fatigue. Sometimes that's mental, sometimes it's physical. But, uh, you know, you've got a big guy there at center who's playing a lot of minutes, taking a lot of physical punishment, and you've got freshmen. And a lot of times there's a freshman wall. Are you seeing any signs of fatigue on the Boilermakers? I have not noticed it. Um, Maybe I'm not looking closely enough, but I certainly have not seen that. Um, I do think it's a fair point, though, especially when you talk about freshmen um, and you know this, Brett, because you're familiar with high school basketball. But you think about where we're at now in the season. Purdue's now played 26 games. Uh, that, that's about the extent of the number of games you're going to play in high school basketball, even if you made it all the way to the state finals. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're you're kind of at the end of where you would be from a uh, from a season standpoint. A 32-minute game, too. A 32-minute game. Good point. When you now have guys at uh, Purdue, it's well, you just think about, uh, whether it be Fletcher Lawyer or Braden Smith, the two freshmen that are playing over 30 minutes a game. Uh, yeah, in a high school game, only 32 minutes long. So even if they played the whole game, they would barely be getting 30 minutes. Yeah. 
Um, and we still have five games left to go in the regular season. That's before the tournament even begins. <laughs> so if indeed there is a wall, this is typically about the time those freshmen begin to hit that wall. You know, the, my bigger concern, Brett, was actually Zach Eady. Um, and not so much the fact that he's been playing 30 minutes a game, because last year he only played 19 minutes a game, but 30 minutes a game once you get into this deep into the season, right? It's one thing to play 30 minutes a game through the first 15 games or so, but now here we are 26 games into the season, and i got to tell you, I don't see Zach slowing down at all. Um, he is in great physical condition for a guy that's seven foot four and 295 pounds. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I understand that's a valid concern. I think it's fair, and I have seen it in the past with freshmen. But at least for the moment, I'm, I'm not seeing that with the Purdue guys. It's, and the two freshmen that really play the most, obviously, which are Braden Smith and Fletcher Lawyer. This is a team in Maryland that basically does well what Purdue has to be concerned about. They can put pressure. They've got some length on the perimeter. Uh, what are the keys to Purdue, Maryland? Well, very similar to what we've already talked about because, yes, they do. Uh, they can pressure the ball, and they will full-court press, and that really bothered Purdue that first game. I mentioned it earlier, five turnovers <clears throat> Excuse me, in that first game. Uh, pardon me, 15 turnovers in that first game, and five of those were from Zach Eady. So a third of the turnovers came from Zach. Um, that had nothing to do with full-court pressure. That had everything to do with how hard they were doubling when he got the ball in the low post, uh, and Zach was really struggling. Now, I say struggling. He also had 24 points and, and 16 rebounds and two block shots, so he wasn't necessarily terrible. Don't misunderstand me. But he did struggle taking care of the ball against this, those really aggressive double teams. Um, so that's a concern. Take care of that basketball. The other concern with them is uh, Jameer Young, who uh, I don't know if he's going to be first-team all-conference, but he probably should be. Uh, their, their transfer that uh, came in from, from Charlotte, I mean, he's having a heck of a season as their starting point guard. He, he He's averaging, I don't know, probably 28, 18, 19 a game, somewhere right in there in conference play. But he did not have a great game against Purdue in that first game. He was 0 of 6 from 3, 4 of 18 shooting, finished with 10 points. Uh, seven rebounds, seven assists. I can't imagine Jameer Young's going to have another bad game against Purdue, not at home especially. So I think those are the two keys. Can Purdue keep the turnover number around 11 or less? And can they keep Jameer Young from trying to redeem himself from having a full game against Purdue the first time? Because Young is a good enough player. He literally can take the game over, um, and all of a sudden you look up the scoreboard and the guy has 35 points and you've just lost because you couldn't contain that guy. So... Those, to me, are the two keys. Uh, keep Jameer Young contained and, and, and try to keep that turnover number low. I know it's not uh, must win. Uh, that's such an overused phrase. But this does seem like a pretty important game coming off the loss at Northwestern. How important do you perceive this game to be? Well, important from a number of perspectives. Uh, number one being the Big Ten championship race here. Uh, obviously, we don't know what's going to happen tonight with Illinois and Penn State. And we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow night with uh, with Indiana and Northwestern. Uh, but if Illinois wins tonight, and obviously one team has to win tomorrow, IU or, or Northwestern, you're going to have two teams right there that are two games back of Purdue in the standings. And if Purdue would turn around and stub their toe Thursday, all of a sudden Purdue has a one-game lead over those two teams uh, heading down the stretch here uh, with just four games left. And keep in mind, Illinois is still on Purdue's schedule. Uh, so is Indiana. Mm-hmm. Uh, so all of a sudden, those games be, those games are going to be important anyway. But if you have a one-game lead over one of those teams and you're about to play them head-to-head for what ultimately is going to be a Big Ten championship, 
Uh, let's just say I'd prefer to have a two-game cushion on those guys uh, going into that game. That way you have a little wiggle room just in case in case you happen, happen to have a bad day. Um, but, yes, from that from that standpoint, it's it, it's very important. In the grand scheme of things, look, Maryland's really good at home. I don't think anyone's going to be surprised if Maryland finds a way to win uh, against Purdue tomorrow night. The fa- or, pardon me, Thursday night. The fact of the matter is they've only lost one game at home all year, and that was UCLA. So, so that's not there's nothing embarrassing about that being your only home loss. Uh, so this is going to be a very difficult test Thursday. If Purdue doesn't win, I don't think there are going to be a whole lot of folks surprised at that just because as, as well as Maryland's played at home this year. But, again, if Purdue does not win, uh, all of a sudden that Big Ten race for a regular season championship gets uh, gets really tight here in these last four ball games. Yeah, and uh, it it takes uh, it, it makes an impact on the national landscape as well as far as future potential seeding when you get to that NCAA tournament. So it will be worth listening to coming up on Thursday night. Rob, really appreciate you taking time out to visit with us about Purdue basketball. Look forward to your call on Thursday. Sounds great, Brett. Thanks for having me. Yep, that is Rob Blackman joining us on the guest line. And, uh, of course, it will be Purdue, Maryland, uh, we've got your coverage coming up starting at 5.30. So we've got a shortened edition of the Sports Rush on Thursday. 5.30, the Purdue pregame with a 6.30 tip against Maryland on Thursday night. We'll come back. It is the Sports Rush on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. This is Mike Nutter, team president of the Fort Wayne Tin Caps. And you're listening to the Sports Rush with Brett Rump on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Welcome back to the Sports Rush, your daily local sports fix, 4 to 6. Brett Rump, Adam Lundy, and you connected on the Parkview Sports Medicine text line. Last night, Pacers fall again. It's getting to be a little too repetitive. It's now, what, 18 out of 20 that the Pacers have dropped, this time to the Utah Jazz. Final score, 123-117. Pacers played without Miles Turner last night, uh, which meant that... uh, Tice was the big man. He finished with 11 points and only five rebounds. Meanwhile, uh, Tyrese Halliburton did play and had 30 points, 12 assists. He was 12 of 24 from the field, three of eight long distance. Aaron Neesmith was four for five from long range. Buddy Heald, who hit a couple of threes early, ended up going cold and hit only two of 11 for the game, three of 13 overall, eight points. Ben Matherin. He goes over 1,000 points as a rookie with 21 points on 8 of 13 for the field. But the Pacers did blow a first-half lead. They made it close heading into the fourth quarter. I think it was a one-point game. But Utah got the best of them in the fourth quarter in Indianapolis at Gainbridge Fieldhouse. And so uh, Utah wins it 123-117. Up next for the Pacers... A Wednesday night clash with the Chicago Bulls that will be down in Indianapolis at Gainbridge Fieldhouse. So Shane Steichen is the name to know. He is the new Indianapolis Colts head coach. It is official. Colts made the announcement first thing this morning. They scheduled a 12-15 press conference So they have already introduced Shane Steichen to local media and to the world. And it looks like Shane Steichen is excited to take over as the Indianapolis Colts head coach. Of course, as you heard earlier, Jeff Saturday had a very 
classy and professional response, wishing Shane Steichen well. I thought one of the more interesting parts of the presser was when the subject came up that the Colts said they learned about the candidates, but the candidates also let them know about themselves and let them know from the outside what they thought of their roster. And it's very interesting when you have Jim Irsay and Chris Ballard together talking to a prospective head coach who's breaking down your roster. Because to me, in some ways, that's giving an evaluation of Chris Ballard's job of assembling this roster directly to Jim Irsay, Chris Ballard's boss. And I wonder what the Colts learned and did their perspective of their roster and their own players change based on what they learned through these interviews? For instance, what did they find out about defensive personnel? Is there something that they might have thought uh, a certain defender was better than what he was perceived to be by opposing coaches that game plan for them? Or what about the defensive coaches talking about the Colts offensive players? Maybe they're saying, you know, we never worried about your number two or number three receiver. Michael Pittman was the only guy we seemed to be concerned about because uh, of his possession abilities. And so we wanted to take away short routes. We wanted to take away short crossing routes. What did the Colts learn? I thought those conversations had to be very interesting when you've got coaches giving their opinion of what they think of the Colts roster to the guy who assembled the roster and ultimately is also going to be making a decision on who the next head coach is going to be. That had to be a very interesting part of the whole interview process. And they also shared that most of the interviews lasted five hours long. I don't know what you ask over a five-hour period, but ultimately the uh, positive here in my mind is you take a coach who obviously has a good track record, doesn't have experience as a head coach, so we don't know. Is he a great head coach? I don't know, but he's been well-respected by the players that he did lead. Uh, But number two, he's also an offensive mind and a creative offensive mind who sees things and reacts to that. And so uh, I think overall I'm, I'm satisfied. I don't know that I'd be thrilled about a defensive coach based on the history of what it's been in the NFL of late, where it seems like offensive coordinators take head coaching positions and have much more immediate success than defensive coaches that get hired to become head coaches. I don't know why that is. Is there, uh, you know, something where coaches, when they're coming up originally into into the coaching profession, do they learn something different about being an offensive coach versus defensive coach that better prepares them to be a head coach? I, I don't know. But the reality, when you look at playoff teams and you look at teams that had winning records and all these all these numbers that you can throw out there about first-year coaches – it's overwhelming that offensive coordinators or offensive-minded coaches have had greater success than defensive coaches. So that is a real positive, I think, for the Indianapolis Colts. Um, once again, Shane Steichen talked about uh, how he wants to build this team. And, and another great moment in the presser had to be Jim Irsay. You know, Jim Irsay at times is unfiltered. 
And uh, the fact that the Colts were talking about what to do with the high draft pick. And they asked Shane Steichen about selecting a uh, a quarterback and being involved in that process. And he said, that's something we'll have to talk about. Then they asked the question to Jim Irsay and Chris Ballard. And I thought it was fantastic. First of all, Jim Irsay talked about, you know, we have to evaluate who it is we want and what our options are. Do we move up? And then Chris Ballard jumped in and said, or do we trade down? Because Jim Irsay and him obviously had a good laugh over that because Chris Ballard's history has been to trade down out of the first round and try to get extra picks because Chris Ballard always has said, I love those picks. But um, but in, in the conversation, it kind of lightened up. And at that moment, Jim Irsay, even though it was somewhat of a joke, you wonder, did he just reveal something? where he said that Alabama kid is something special. And uh, obviously, they're talking about Bryce Young. And did they already go through a preliminary evaluation process? And Jim Ursay's man is Bryce Young. Now, personally, out of the three quarterbacks, I might have Bryce Young third out of the top three quarterbacks. Because of his size, I think he's vulnerable to injury. Uh, I don't know what it is they've evaluated, what they've looked at on film, whether they've got any kind of psychological profile. <laughs> but but uh, Jim Irsay clearly likes the Alabama kid. Didn't mention the Buckeye. Or the uh, Will Levis. Or Will Levis, yeah. Didn't talk about the Wildcat, the Kentucky guy. Very interesting that that slipped out of Jim Irsay's mouth. Uh, I, like I said, I it, it almost got awkward afterwards, too, because you knew that Jim Ursay just said something he probably shouldn't have said. Um, I think if you're going to go Bryce Young, don't trade up. Take your chances. If you're going C.J. Stroud, I think there'll be a more aggressive market on C.J. Stroud. That's just my perception right now. And I've got plenty of time to change my mind, almost two months before the draft. But, uh, yeah, interesting comment from uh, Jim Irsay. Girls Semi-State coming up this Saturday. We've got Michael Mack on the road heading to Huntington as the Snyder Lady Panthers will take on Fishers. Very interesting that you've got an SAC team trying to knock off the team that knocked off an SAC team last week in the regional championship. But you've got the Snyder Panthers against Fishers in the semi-state round one. And, of course, to win a semi-state title, you got to win the 10 a.m. game. And then you got to come back and win a championship at night. But uh, the road starts 10 a.m. this Saturday at Huntington, Class 4A semi-state with Snyder versus Fishers. And we've got your coverage Right here on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. We'll take a final break. We'll come back. You're listening to a Tuesday edition of The Sports Rush on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Welcome back to The Sports Rush, your daily local sports fix, four to six. Final time. I am Brett Rump, Adam Lundy, our producer. Coming up in just minutes, we will be at the Holiday Inn, Purdue, Fort Wayne, right across the Memorial Coliseum. It's the Mastodon's Coaches Show, presented by Diamond Residential Mortgage. And tonight, we get to talk to both 
basketball coaches, men's coach John Kaufman, women's coach Maria Marcasano. That comes up in just minutes, 6 to 7 o'clock, right here at 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Big day, Colts fans have a new coach. Shane Steichen is the name moving forward that uh, will be leading the Indianapolis Colts. Still wait to hear on offensive coordinator. Even a question about defensive coordinator, although we believe it will be Gus Bradley. Appreciate you taking time with us on this Tuesday afternoon. Coming up, we've got uh, the Mastodon's Coaches Show, but uh, also a big thanks to our guests that appeared on our show today. Ken Sterling in hour number one. Also a big thanks to Rob Blackman, Purdue Radio Voice, for joining us in hour number two. I'm out of here. Join us tomorrow, Hump Day Edition, four to six of the Sports Rush on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Come in, Dad.